Hello, listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of Celluloid Citizens. As always, I'm Sean M. Thompson. And I'm Brian O'Connell. Yes, Brian has come I've back. I've returned. Our, I've returned. and For what will be our penultimate episode. Of this season? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that means second to last, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, then that is what it is. And we will be covering the 1999 film uh, Ravenous, directed by Antonia Bird. Uh, starring Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, David Arquette, Jeremy Davies, Jeffrey Jones, uh, etc., and written by Ted Griffin. Yes, it's a uh, horror western cannibal comedy. Um, if that's <laughs> if that makes any sense, but it's uh... yeah, it sounds about right. Basically, the best way to think of it is it's like if. Uh, if someone decided to do a black comedy version of the Donner Party. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It, it does work along those lines. Um, I know this is... So I, I've, I'd never seen this before this episode. I know it's one of your all-time favorites and you've been... Yeah, for some reason it's... I mean, I know why, but uh, it is one of my favorites. I do consider it an influence. Uh, anyone who's read my work... Oh, yeah. At least knows about the tonal shifts. So <laughs> with the tonal shifts, at least, that's definitely an influence. Yeah, quite quite crazy. I mean, like, so this was like a relatively... This wasn't like a B-movie or anything, you know? It was a no. 20th Century Fox, and they they released this. And, and for a movie that, that's got a, a good number of, like, if maybe not AA list, at least, like, pretty solid b-list stars in it and a lot of talent yeah i mean at the time guy pierce he wasn't huge yet i don't think mm -hmm. but he was he was a name and robert carlisle um i believe had been in train spotting already right jeffrey jones beloved character actor <laughs> makes uh which i he was one of the few faces i immediately recognized because he's been in a number of um tim burton films so yeah yes yeah there's there's like a and obviously of a special note we have a score by damon albarn of blur with yeah. uh, michael nyman the classical composer who works on uh, peter greenaway's films so very very interesting combination there and it's it's quite quite a lot of talent stacked behind it so it was it was a big release and it's this extremely bizarre um unpredictable less in sense of plot and more in sense of like how they play it if you know what i mean like it'll just jump from tone to tone in a really really bizarre and interesting way that i wouldn't have expected from what amounts to a pretty high budget studio production it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how this did uh, when it first came out. I don't think it did amazingly. It. Uh, I'm checking um, now. It. Uh, yeah. It did not. It did not. It. It lost. It lost a lot of money. It. It has a reported twelve million dollar budget, and its North American gross was two million, a little over two million dollars. So that's. Yeah, and I mean, I sort of, I love this movie, but I sort of get it. Like, I don't know, 
I don't know that this would have been the easiest sell for people in 99. Right. I think nowadays, if this dropped on streaming, it would be like... I mean, just the other day, we had that movie Fresh come out. Oh, I, with, oh, um, I heard about that. I heard mixed things about that Fucking Bucky one. Barnes, whatever. <laughs> I always forget his actual name. Um, Sebastian Stan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I heard about And that. I don't want to say too much about it, but it is a, also a cannibal thing mm -hmm. uh and that people have been really kind of buzzing over that so i think some of it is that it was a bit ahead of its time in terms of being this weird kind of hodgepodge of comedy and horror right um and like i don't even know if it would be considered undertones but there's a very strong homosexual yeah there's uh, a lot more just over overt tones yes yes there's um a homosexual overtone there's also a weird uh well not weird but like surprising like it's it's overtly a critique of u.s imperialism and colonialism rather like they talk about manifest destiny a lot and it's like it's weirdly like I don't know. It's it's very themed, if that makes sense. Which yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing is, and I've done this in my own work. You know, um, I had that story, Cat's Claw LLC. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, where I maybe maybe not the coolest thing, but I made a bunch of yuppies into Wendigos. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it sort of just lends itself to a capitalist metaphor big business or colonialism right well it's that's cannibalism is uh right yeah, all it's... about yeah i mean there's a honestly there's been a well I, i'm only i can only think of two movies but there's an interest in cannibalism lately would you agree like we had raw as well by uh julia de Cournau and and fresh yeah. and yeah so i mean i think the thing is cannibal <laughs> gonna sound like a weird statement cannibalism never really goes anywhere i mean right it's always kind of i mean even just with the hannibal lecter stuff like that hannibal is like a huge part of popular culture and like yeah. that's obviously the biggest thing about the character is that he eats people yeah um i gotta finish quick that aside uh all of this is ruined if you do any research into actual cannibalism because <laughs> yeah. like a lot of people would get really really sick and die from it right um and he, which I think, which I think was just from eating the brain, but you know, like you could get really sick. Yeah, and also human flesh doesn't taste any different from. There's no like a lot of these movies. It's like you know, once you once you have it, you can't go back, right? But right, human flesh apparently just tastes like any other any other meat. You know, it's not like. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, but I understand the. The sort of supernatural and spiritual um, well, yeah, implications. It's like it's a huge taboo, and it's obviously horrifying to think about. And also, you know, as a symbol, you know, eating another human being, it's quite a quite a powerful symbol. And and this film really meaningfully digs into a lot of that symbolism in a way that you know you don't get in every cannibal movie maybe so no it's true and also another quick side note mm -hmm. uh brian fuller who did uh the tv show of hannibal mm -hmm. is apparently a big fan of this film which is to the shock of no one yeah uh, because there are scenes in this where i was outright like did he just show this to hugh dancy and be like do that well i haven't um, seen i've only seen like a couple of episodes of the first season of hannibal um, but already, like, the tone 
the cannibalism, the homosexuality, all of it, like, very much an antecedent to that, what I saw of that show anyway. So that makes sense. I'm not surprised to hear that at all. It does. I mean, another thing I wanted to bring up is, um, well, first of all, in 99, getting a woman to direct a big film is like, that's obviously huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, But on top of that, I think part of the reason I enjoy this film so much is that like the angle she approached it at was one of maybe not necessarily the female gaze, but it's like not entirely the male gaze. Right. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There's a... And it's like the same way that uh, Point Break, I love that movie so much. Haven't seen it. And I think a lot of the vibe of it is because it's um, Catherine Bigelow. Mm, I haven't seen and it. And she's, you know, directing Keanu Reeves. She's directing all these beautiful men. <laughs> and obviously there's just that thing of like, if, you know, if you're attracted to the subject you're portraying. It, it sort of happens. the storytelling, yeah. Right, yeah. But then it's also just... There's also some uh, very ironic and funny moments where we know, we'll talk about it when we get there, but there's that cut to the soldier um, I forget his name, but there's like a hard cut midway through. Oh yeah, I always forget his name, but yeah, it's 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 a. What I also love about this film is like mm-hmm. it moves so quickly, like yeah, and it yeah. works tightly paced, which is it doesn't always you know like horror sometimes lends itself to a much more deliberate and slower pace, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but this and is this just does not have that, and yet it still works. Yeah, it moves at a pretty fast clip, which although I would argue actually the horror elements i mean like it starts very horrific and then it gets sort of funny but then like when we're getting into the main crux of the horror plot that does kind of ease into it yeah yeah well it's the it has like a really fast first act and then it's almost like there's a little bit of a slow burn in the middle and then it goes back to really fast near the end but well um let's just Let's just jump right into it, I guess. I mean, we can go through. Right, yeah. I think we should probably just start going into it. So, um, Guy Pierce plays Captain John Boyd. Mm-hmm. Um, we op- I don't have the... Yeah? Yeah. We, we have a... We don't have... Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, my bad. It's all right. Um, I don't have the, the dates in front of me, but it opens during the Mexican-American War. Mm-hmm. 1847 uh, or something like that. Um, yeah, like 1850, around then. We get a um, big old shot of the American flag uh, signaling what this movie's going to be talking about a little bit. Um, and he's being decorated for courage at the start of the film. Is that what's happening? So- yeah, yeah. I mean, he's getting um, celebrated for taking over this enemy encampment. Um, and there's this huge table of people eating these really disgusting-looking steaks. Yeah, it's um, quite emphasized quite a lot. The the right, yeah, and we have these sort of uh, intercuts of um, John Boyd, sort of in his own head, having these flashbacks, like a PTSD thing, of yeah. when he was fighting and uh, under this pile of bodies, and like human blood is dripping into his mouth. Yeah, and... I quite liked that image. I thought that was uh, uh, an eerie, potent image that he's 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 trapped in this sort of a cart of dead bodies or something and yeah it's like a pile of dead bodies there's just this slow drip of blood into his mouth which and we're sort of intercutting with him looking at his steak which is like the 
I don't think anyone <laughs> should eat this steak. It's like the rarest steak I've ever seen. Pretty, pretty bloody, pretty raw. It's uh, unpleasant looking, but that's a lot. There is a lot of attention, not even in with just regard to meat, but they do draw a lot of attention to to food here and 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 yeah. specifically like the sounds of eating like you know stuff yeah clattering. they really ramp up the chewing sounds yeah it's, it's icky um and he obviously he gets sick runs off throws up and then we get the title yeah <laughs> with those uh very 90s sort of slide on slide yeah up. i will say of all of the things the title credits are probably the most specifically 90s thing where you can go yeah that's the 90s yeah 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 it's otherwise it could be i mean i feel like films made in the 90s for whatever reason the film stock has a certain it's almost a sort of grainy quality yeah but it's like especially like skin tones have a sort of maybe orange or warmish leaning that that they don't yeah, yeah but but otherwise this really a lot of the style could play for it's hard to place date specifically i mean it's like it could be the, yeah i think I, w- I was wondering about this the other day i was like would it make sense to remake ravenous and i keep coming back to no well i mean you know obviously usually you don't want to remake films just to right. remake them well I- but i think for me i keep thinking like I don't see what you could do that would be any newer or more interesting or more dynamic. Unless you, like, completely changed the setting or something or, like, shifted the implications to, like, another time period or something. But if you were just doing a straight remake, I don't think there would be much reason to do that. I just think you'd have the plot, but it wouldn't be as interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, It's pretty... It is, you know... It's a good expression of what it is, you know? It's it's It doesn't need any uh, sort of revisionism or anything. Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of this film is, like, there weren't really huge actors in it. There wasn't, like, a huge director attached. There wasn't a huge novel it was based on. And it, it happens to just be this really interesting, funny, dynamic film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of in spite of everything that was kind of stacked against it absolutely and on a on a subject that's uh hard to do interestingly in film like you would think that cannibalism is is easy but i've definitely seen it used as just straight shock value or just meaningless gore or whatever and this this man it really thinks about its subject in a lot of a lot of interesting ways but uh anyway so He gets decorated, and then you have this actually surprisingly beautifully shot title sequence with the... He's going out to this remote outpost in... Yeah, it's supposed to be California. Um, Apparently, they filmed this in Slovakia. That's crazy to me. (laughs) Well, I've never been to California. Because I was thinking, like, where in California could you film still that isn't developed within an inch of its life right uh, yeah no that's true too it's i um, think that's some of the reason they come out to film in new mexico a lot nowadays too is just like we have long stretches that aren't as developed still oh yeah yeah that that would make sense you need uh those those sorts of 
arid, you know, lonely places are increasingly uh, dying out for obvious reasons. Yeah, so. but Eastern, I mean, well, I mean, let's be real. The real reason was probably budgetary. Yeah. I can't imagine it costs all that much to film in Slovakia. Yeah, probably, probably not. Um, but it is beautiful, and that is like, you know, it's like the setting is... It's convincingly Old West to me. Like, Right, yeah, I mean, it's probably cliche at this point, but... The the setting is like a major character. Oh yeah, I mean, if it it's it's the entire mood of the thing, right? And I I think it really does a good job in those opening scenes of like just establishing the the desolate quality, you know, the isolation, and usually with a very simple just like pan. It's not like anything too showy, but it, it's just enough to just see the mountains towering and the pine trees and you know this this kind of dilapidated gate to the fort that he passes through it's quite uh quite evocative and atmospheric already yeah the the fort is also an interesting um they did a good job designing it yeah yeah and the score as well there's a we should talk about the score a little bit because that was yeah yeah it's it's this sort of um it's hard to describe. I mean, it's very electronic for what it is. Yeah, there's like this mix of traditional string sounds that that sound kind of classic and 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 sort of maybe uh, plucking banjo-y type sounds that sound very you know classic old west or whatever. And then there's these electronic textures over it, right? That are yeah. It's very specific you know it's 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 the sort of movie that if i ever hear that um any even like five seconds from it i'll be able to know it's this movie it it has that going for it that it's yeah but i i just appreciate that it's um i think a lot of people approaching this film to score it would have gone the traditional route of just you know like kind of vaguely folk old yeah. school yeah American, yeah. Right, yeah. It doesn't uh, necessarily call for this sort of more um, original approach, but it has it, and that makes a, a huge difference already. Like, that's a lot of things about this film is where, you know, they could have gone the more conventional route with a specific choice or, or a scene or, or a joke or whatever. And I mean, even story-wise, like... I, I it's just an it's a weird story yeah it's um well i mean so it's we could talk about this it's obviously building on donner party type um anecdotes about you know yeah like it's dealing with the archetype of the donner party yeah people um migrating across the i'm sorry five seconds there's yeah, a yeah do you hear that yeah okay it's fine i can cut that out I'll, let me just hang it up <laughs> Five seconds. All right. I think it should be fine. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, okay. You, should we count back in or just just keep going? <laughs> um, no. When I go through editing, I'll be able to find it. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the Donner Party. Everybody knows the story. Um, and it's, you know, people people. You know, stories of, like, ghastly uh, 
misadventures happening on west along the way to westward expansion right like people getting lost people going missing starving to death eating other people you know and the background of that definitely informs everything although it takes it in a in a peculiar peculiar direction by the story's end but yeah but i do i i guess um I mean, there have been films made about the Donner Party that are fine. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen um, any of them. I'm curious, <laughs> but uh, I don't remember the name. There was at least one made, but I think what I like about this film is that it takes this. It's sort of historical fiction, like it takes this well-known, uh, you know, manifest destiny gone wrong into cannibalism story, and kind of interweaves it into this more metaphysical. Um, tale or kind of a journey yeah yeah and also spins it on its head because well we're getting ahead of ourselves but by the end it's not the people who are lost in the wilderness who who have to be worried about cannibalism but the people who are in civilization you know it's like it's it's the kind of reverse of what you would expect but yeah and i mean we're and you know at this point it's old hat but Mm -hmm. um this was definitely the first thing I saw that dealt with Wendigos. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I'm of two minds on the whole adopting native myths. It's really... Um, uh... Incorporating them. Because at least with, you know, I have native uh, friends who kind of <laughs> uh, complain about the use of the Wendigo over and over. Like, like it's the only native... Well, I mean, first of all, it's not a... Not every tribe believes in the Wendigo. It's definitely a, a northern um yeah north, northern part of america which this does i think this film acknowledges it does that. actually specify which is like one of the only films i think that does this mm. yeah um you know recently i'm thinking of antlers which was fine i haven't uh, seen it i it looked it looked fine <laughs> that's it just yeah it fun. was fine it was passable but it it confused me because they went through all this trouble to get you know actual native actors and to do all this research and then they just kind of shoehorn when it goes in anyway yeah that sucks yeah i mean i think it's really um with regards of, of to appropriation it's 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 hard to say like in ju- it's a tough one because you know i also think about like there's so many cool native myths the one i think about lately is the um the skinwalker but then mm. like actually bit like you're not supposed to talk about the skinwalker and like native the native people that believe in that aren't supposed to talk about it so it's like well that's that's to me it can't be about belief right because like i've definitely i've seen arguments that don't appropriate the wendigo because it's just a process of you know, ransacking native culture for your own ends and it's lazy and it's colonialist and it sucks. And that's one thing. But then I've seen others who are like, don't appropriate the Wendigo because the Wendigo is real or it's like a real thing to a group of people. And to me, I mean, I know people who believe in Satan doesn't really stop me from you know. Right, I mean, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I mean, as I think I've said it already, I've written about Wendigos because yeah. they just, uh, you know, it like lends itself to sort of like taken out of the lens of uh, native culture hmm. and applied to 
Anglo-American. Uh, I mean, you know, it's sort of like a, an American psycho type thing. Right, right. No, it's it's a it's fertile for the imagination. But um, yeah, I don't want to give the impression that I have a, a clear standing one way or the other on this one. Yeah, I'm sort of in the middle, but I, I think at least the thing about Ravenous is, um, <clears throat> I could be wrong about this too, but it at least appeared like they had native actors. I'm going to be real mortified if it was just Spanish people, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, I can check. Um, but yeah. I mean, they... Yeah, There's a guy named Joseph Running Fox. No, uh, and Martha's played by a Native American woman, Sheila Towsey. So they did get Native actors, and and they do acknowledge, um, you know, certain cultural details that would not probably have made it into uh, an even more Hollywoodized version of this story. Um, right, and again, like, for 99, I mean, that was fairly yeah, ahead of its time. Yeah. There is some, definitely still some ethnic broad-brush stereotyping, but for the most part, uh, I didn't I didn't find the that to be, like, weighing the film down overall, but that's yeah, just I me. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing <laughs> is they don't, I mean, they even do it in Hannibal. They have the imagery of the Wendigo, which is, you know, the horns. Right, but like, they don't sort do of like that here. horns on a person. They don't bother with that in this, because they don't need to, and I don't think you do need to. No, it, it works. I honestly think it works better without the... I don't... You know, for me, like, this the, the monster type thing is, is ultimately less unsettling than some of the stuff you see here done with just human people so right yeah i mean there's one very uh i think subtle nod uh to the look um mm -hmm. from what i've gathered at least which is uh david arquette like later on in the film is putting up this it looks like a deer skull or yeah like an elk or maybe a moose skull mm -hmm. and it's just like you know sort of deer with these huge antlers Right. I think that's intentional yeah. like, to draw upon that traditional look. Yeah. And and also just But that's all you really need. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, we should we should uh talk about the introduction of the people who are on the the in the camp or whatever. Yeah, I mean this is basically the losers club. I mean, it's where they send all the sort of like reject soldiers they don't really want to deal with anymore yeah so there's a drunkard there's the soldier is funny because jeremy jones or rather jeffrey jones introduces him and it's just a hard cut to him screaming shirtless in an icy river you know just at the top of his lungs and it just cuts right back and he's like I i'd i'd steer clear of him if you agree <laughs> and it's just the most um it's just such a weirdly, you know, going back to the female director thing, I don't know if that was a script choice or, or a director choice, but, you know, the they're introducing the most masculine man on the base, conventionally masculine, in this sort of... As like a joke. As, yes. as like a doofus, you know, and obviously getting, again, spoilers or whatever, but he dies pretty quickly, you know, he's not, um, you know. He's not very effectual. Yeah, no. so he's, I think there's a spoof going on there, but in any way, whether or not there is, it's just it's just a funny cut because it's so um Well, I think blunt. also the implication is that, like, if you're, like, 
too ultra masculine and like almost too good of a soldier like you can't like they can't use you because you're just like on all the time right yeah he doesn't seem to relax at all <laughs> uh yeah it's uh it's it's amazing and then we also have jeremy davies who i wanted to shout out because he was the other actor i recognized i was like oh because he's in a several of Lars von Trier's films he's in uh dogville in the house that jack built <laughs> he's also in hannibal oh and he's in hannibal as well wow right which i always think is funny because he's like it's like typecast as being in cannibal stuff yeah is he he usually plays a very meek um role in yeah the... yeah and hannibal he plays like a guy who's been kicked in the head by a horse so he's got this specific type of brain damage <laughs> And um, is he a killer or? or... Uh, I don't want to spoil no, Hannibal. Spo- okay, but I gotta not, watch it. I gotta watch it. Not really. He might be. Okay, I'll find out when I um, <laughs> when I get around to it. But yeah, so they go through, and it's like you know, Private Clee is by David Arquette, who's clearly a stoner. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's just uh, getting high and drunk all of the time, self medicating. I think yeah the very the overly medicated and you know Jeremy Davies is private toffler who is sort of um like a meek soldier also uh loves Christ yeah and uh quite um quite vocal as we'll see later he gets some of the funniest lines I think I do like that the the drunk is apparently just Knox. He's credited as just Knox. There's no there's no uh, there's, there's no, no rank or uh, no. He's just Knox. Yeah, that's funny. He sounds vaguely southern. It's uh, it's unclear. There's a yeah, that's funny. Honestly, I I hadn't noticed that, but and I only noticed because I'm looking at the IMDb right now. And Knox is just such like a blunt uh, blunt. He doesn't have name. a last name. Yeah. Yeah, but it's uh yeah. So that's. That's our ragtag group of uh, oh, and some there. There's a Native American brother and sister, a couple. I forget the exact detail. I watched this yesterday, but um, um, I, I wish I remember George I don't, but... and Martha. Uh, let me just, yeah, yeah. They're they're siblings. They're siblings. I didn't think they were oh, okay. married. All right. Um, I just wanted to make sure. But um, yeah. So that's. That's that's the base. Um and they're not together. I mean, Boyd tells the story of his of his how he got there to them, I think, right? Like okay. Yeah. He tells it at least to um excuse me a second, to Colonel Hart, uh mm. played by Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Um who's his confidant really for, for most of the first part of the film. Yeah, I mean, Colonel Hart seems like probably the most with it of all of them. Yeah, and the guy who, I don't know, he's, I, I, I don't know what he's been sent there for. If I don't know, I remember if he says, but he seems like since he's the guy appointed to be in charge of this group, he, I don't know, he has more of a sense of responsibility than than anyone else basically around him um but yeah he's yeah i almost got the sense from him he maybe wasn't as much of a fuck up that they just needed someone to take to uh to be run in charge this, of the yeah. the base and he kind of drew the short straw yeah that's what i he seems kind of weary and 
uh, you know, unenthused, but also... I mean, it might have just been a thing as simple as he wanted to retire, and they're like, well, this is basically retiring, so <laughs> right. enjoy. But there's a... He's, you know, he's he's friendly and everything. Um, and I think, I think, I think, frankly, I think Jeffrey Jones got accused of sexual harassment a couple of years ago, but it is... Oh, yeah, I mean, it was much worse than that. It was, like, child porn, Oh, but... God, oh damn um but, but he's a good you know, actor and he's he good is in a this. good actor yeah i mean it's yeah i don't want to go on too much of an aside about it but it, it's you know i know it's in vogue to just be like oh you know roman polanski sucks his movies suck or jeffrey jones was accused of this so therefore he's not a good but it's not always that clearly black and white because right. it's like no well, it's, can... it's it is black and white to the degree that what he did. I mean, was, in terms of like the crimes, yes. yes. I just mean in terms of the art produced. It's like he's a good mm, actor. I yeah. I thought he was one of the the better performances in this movie for me. Like one of the performances I remembered and was compelled to watch. Um, not all of the performances in this are pretty solid. But no, he does a good job. Yeah, I he mean, just the conversation we just had about his background suggests the strength of of his performance because he he conveys that sort of sense without exposition or anything. So it is a good performance. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, we're not in the film for too long before somebody arrives, something goes wrong. Someone arrives, uh, Robert Carlyle, who turns out, you know, spoiler alert is, is actually Colonel Ives. But when he arrives to them, he does not say he is Colonel Ives. Right. He is, I forget the name he gives them. It's, it's a sort of a, uh, never mind. I forget the name he gives. Them. I think Calhoun is the name. Cal- something like that. And he says he's Scottish, right, or or something like that. I I I don't remember. But he he basically tells them that he was basically part of this party that was traveling west, and the leader, Colonel Ives, who again, he is Colonel Ives, but he doesn't tell us that. Um, basically got them lost. They were trapped in the snow. It was a long time. They ate their horses or mules or whatever, uh, their dogs. And eventually he claims that it wasn't his decision. He left camp. He comes back. A guy has died and they're they're roasting his legs. legs. Um, And the smell of meat, you know, he had to give in uh only a little bit and gradually there was a cannibalist process right i do like the story of he says you know like we we got greedy and we ate we ate this body in a week i'm like you ate a whole body in a week yeah that's quite quite i guess if it's like six people like yeah Mm, and you would think they would be more they would conserve their uh, resources a little more but in this film you know, human flesh. Like, the implication being, as soon as you eat human flesh, like you have this almost vampiristic yeah, kind of like. The cannibalism in this movie really struck me as a vampire e in general. You know. It... Yeah, it's like supernatural. It's not like a typical like. I think the implication is, as soon as you eat human flesh, you get this like weird uh, craving, which is which is the Wendigo myth, right? That, that right, yeah. When you do that, you get a possession or fall under the influence of a Wendigo and that uh, basically 
makes you a, a monster human flesh addict. But um, yeah, yeah. So he basically. But he says so he claims, though, that there's two people that are still alive. Yeah, he ran Um, away from them because he was afraid of the man, the colonel, because, uh, you know, he's the guy who's running the cannibalism, apparently. So I love, you know, uh, what's his name? Colonel Hart. He's like, we got to go back. And and everybody's like, no, don't go back. And he's like, it's our job. (laughs) You know, it's it's that's what we're here to do. And you get the sense that. Most of the time, they aren't doing anything at all up there. No, no, they just kind of sit around. This is kind of like everybody's reluctant to to actually get up and do this, but they do. They they go up and uh, first they go to this. Where where they go to the mountains first, right before they go to the cave. Yeah, they. I think they have to. well, I think where they got stranded was around the mountains, so... Right, so they're... They, you know, climb the mountains, uh, we get this very harrowing scene of, um... Of Jeremy Davies, yeah, he Toffler, being takes like, a hey, tumble. I found a bone, and then just... He happens to fall and, like, hurts his stomach. Yeah. Gets a big gash around his stomach. Yeah, which, you know, ooh, oh boy, you know, watch out for the scent of blood. Um, it's got... Right, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, you know, then we cut to them at camp. It's, there's some pretty great lines in this movie. I've told you this off air, but, yeah. you know, like, he's there and he's like, someone get me some bourbon. And then no one's listening to him. So he goes, bourbon now. Yeah, he's like very childish. And then... You know, the even better, he he starts screaming and it's he says, He's licking me. He was licking me. Right, like later on in the night when everyone's asleep. Oh uh, yeah. Um and it's you know, it's it's fairly obvious, like Colonel well, Calhoun, let's call him Calhoun at this point, mm-hmm. has this blood on his lips and he doesn't deny it. He claims he was having a nightmare and he came to and he was his uh his <laughs> mouth was on the wound. Uh, the wound. Which is very implausible, but everybody accepts it. And there's also, we forgot to mention when they were up in the mountains, uh, Boyd asks Calhoun, um, you know, did you feel any different when you ate human flesh? Did you feel stronger? Did you? And, and the guy says, a certain virility is what he says. And that's like one of, plus the he's licking me line, the homosexual subtext. Right, this is where it's more, it's not even undertones. Well, it's because overtones. it's like explicitly he's like eating human flesh is tied with sex, right? Like he's like, it makes you feel virile. It makes you feel sexually powerful or whatever right so there's a yeah i mean i think what i like about that which is i've seen this movie a bunch of times now but what i like about the implication of the conversation between boyd and um calhoun when they're walking i i think the implication is that john boyd is when he had the blood go into his mouth and he inadvertently sort of ate some of it well, he I'm got a taste. The implication is that he started to feel like stronger or weird. Yeah, I mean that's um, one assumes that he's not full on possessed or or cannibalistic or whatever. But there's a 
he got like a, a fraction of it maybe and the, yeah the fact that maybe that gave him the strength to persist in that in that situation um but yeah it's um he's he's got a bit of a dark side already by the start of the by the start of the film well i mean he pretended to be dead and had to be under a, this huge pile of bodies and right which is enough to traumatize has anyone. all this blood dripping into his mouth so yeah he's been through some shit yeah um but moving along to one of my favorite scenes they reach the cave right it's in a very verdant part of the forest you know lots of greenery trees you know it's it's kind of deceptively pretty compared to yeah. how like icily snowy the mountains were and everything um but it's got the score really kicks into menace mode here which it's kind of been playing with like it the score seldom ever goes full horror movie to me you know it 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 kind of plays with different types of textures but yeah i mean i would say near the end it gets into more overt perhaps you know i'd agree traditional but I mean, maybe not traditional, but yes. Yeah. Well, but here it's definitely, they got the kind of... But here it's, yeah, here it's overt. It's like... The pulsing. It actually scared my cat while we were watching it because it's this very... I mean, I'll do an approximate, but they use this sort of electronic, like... Yes. Like, like a howling. Weird, almost like keening, dying animal noise. Yeah. But electronically. I quite liked um, it. Yeah. And it's just like this weird kind of drum uh kind of weirdly off-kilter drum yeah it's good it's good i i really thought it it added a lot to the scene and you have them all sort of positioned outside of the cave and it's uh it's boyd goes in and the soldier goes in i don't know who played the soldier but um um hold on a second boyd and um Neil McDonough, Private Reich. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Go in. So they go in, and there's a lot of intercutting to build the suspense here because obviously outside, um, Calhoun starts acting a little peculiar, making kind of short breath motions and gesturing oddly and, and looking at uh, uh, Jeremy Davies. Um, and But inside the cave, they sort of slowly push through some nice gothic qualities here with the torch you know and and the sort of uh yeah and they find this part in the cave that goes lower they go in uh or or rather sort of a just reich goes in right or just reich goes in yeah so this is sort of jump scare he gets where he sees there's just bodies hanging yeah this was a nice image i really liked i thought this one was effectively unsettling i mean it's a great scene because the tension you know it's well crafted because it's like you got uh reich in the cave so he's the only one that can actually see and he's taking this all in and then we're intercutting between uh you know reich boyd kind of above him asking him like what do you see and then uh calhoun outside sort of doing this like kind of like panting animalistic type stuff and then you got uh jeffrey jones and uh jeremy um excuse me jeremy davies and jeffrey jones private toffler colonel hart outside um just so yeah yeah. it's well designed because they 
it's like as soon as uh, the private uh, as soon as Private Reich sees all of these dead bodies, he counts them and he sees that there's more than six. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's obviously when you know what you may have already suspected is that this guy has set them up to <laughs> to be eaten. Um, it's 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 good. It's a good it's a good moment. I really I like how the especially the reveal of those uh especially and the way they're positioned that they were like hung upside down and he probably ate them that way and stuff like that is great and they're picked clean and everything it's 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 it strikes the right note um but obviously kick into action calhoun goes wild i think does he charge at a What's well, it? he starts. He, what, I mean, oh, yeah, one of I the interesting things is that he's buried a knife, which is he's. It's very elaborate his whole plan, but he's buried a knife outside of the cave, so he digs up the knife and immediately goes and he starts by stabbing, uh, Colonel Hart yeah. Jeffrey Jones in the stomach. Yeah, and then he starts. Uh, well, actually, then after that, he takes out um, George. George. Yeah. And uh, and unfortunately, George is trying to help, and he throws a like a tomahawk, and uh, <laughs> it, Calhoun just like grabs Colonel Hart and positions him so the axe goes into his back. Yeah, it's almost like a weird uh, slapstick moment in some way, not in a negative way. It's just kind no, of no. It, it does get weirdly comedic though. And well, that's well. The, after everybody's been taken out, he does the whole. He looks at uh, Jeremy Davies, who's just kind of whimpering and standing still, like like a defenseless yeah, animal. Yeah, he's just like terrified, and he goes, "Run." Yeah, and then it starts this weird, this folksy sort of uh, comedy it's like yodeling almost. Yeah, it's it was very funny. I, I I was not I was not expecting the the use of just such like and no, and I I mean I think the thing is it's like so darkly funny because it's like Toffler immediately gets killed, right? And like you you're suspecting he's going to get killed, and yet we have this very kind of like tongue in cheek like banjo score going yeah, on while he's no. getting chased it's funny it's funny and and it's they they cut to a lot of wide shots of just the two like static wide shots of the two guys just running through the forest and it just it just becomes sort of absurd and and funny it, not in a bad way it's just no there's it yeah it, i mean i i appreciate that this film is funny because if you had pitched this to an executive hmm. I don't think you would have pitched it as a humorous take on the Donner part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, but um, that's sort of what it is. Yeah. It, uh, it's those sorts of decisions that really actually give it a, uh, an interesting personality outside of just being right, like, because if they had played it entirely, I mean, I, I mean this in a different way, but if they had played it entirely <laughs> straight, right. Um, I don't think it would have had such a lasting appeal, but like the, yeah, the, the vibe and the personality of the film is what really makes Cause it's like, you know, there's movies about cannibals. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of them, but like, this is the one that I come back to cause it, it, it's just distinctive dynamic in a choices, way. distinctive choices. Yeah, it's just very deliberate choices that are just so odd. Yeah. Well, they like and and it gets really crazy at this point the the two guys get out of the cave 
see what's happened, and they go after um, Ives. We know it's Ives now. Yeah, now we know it's Colonel Ives. I forget the exact... I, I never retain why, but I, for some reason... Um, that you know, they realize in the cave, like, okay, this is clearly a trap. Not, yeah, yeah, this is a trap, and it's the amount of bodies. I don't remember if there's like a uniform that says Calhoun on it or anything, but some they at least some do detail. the math. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, it's something like that. Um, and and eventually, I think it's. What happens to Reich specifically? Like, they reach a sort of cliff-like area, um, by which time he's already killed Toffler, I think. And... (laughs) I mean, he falls off the cliff. I don't remember exactly. I think he gets stabbed, maybe? Yeah, something like that. And um, faced with being eaten by Ives or uh, jumping off a cliff, (laughs) um, Boyd chooses to... Take the jump, and it's pretty, it's pretty wild as a as just a general um, I don't know development of the action that he just like he leaves. Yeah, I mean narratively too. You know what I think is funny is all these people think that Boyd is a coward, and he he like is to an extent, but it's also like that's okay. Well, that coward single handedly took over like a like enemy base. And now he chooses to throw himself off a cliff. That's not very cowardly. No, it's not. It's a. Uh, it is. It's cowardly in the sense that he refuses to engage with one conflict by going right. into an even bigger conflict. Like, right. Like this is his whole character arc. Is like he chooses this. He chooses what is a cowardly action and then has to go through this horrible ordeal and ends up coming out the other side doing something very brave. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 there's a lot of, there is like a, now that I'm thinking about it in that way, they really do keep that consistently throughout in terms of how he develops, you know, and how he behaves in general. But, um, yeah, uh, obviously, this is one of the I, I kind of liked how this scene was constructed because it's almost like a montage. There's a sort of passage of time quality with like these shots of the moon and the moon phases. Right, yeah, because he he ends up falling down this cliff and he breaks his leg and, and falls into this who, pit. Who who who? who excuse me. Who should he land next to? But the dead body of his his former comrade, uh, Colonel Reich or Private Reich, rather. And um, yeah, and there is this funny moment that Private Reich is still just barely alive, and he comes to and starts choking right. Boyd. Yeah, it's it's, and I don't know what the implication of that is. I think it's just that he's like lost his mind, right? And the sense that, like, again, that probably has something to do with why he wasn't. He was discharged to this remote location. Is that he can't switch off in terms of um, fighting or or attacking people or whatever. He's just he's just a soldier twenty four seven. Right, but it works as like a good gothic piece of uh yeah. Oh, it's well narrative. I like the lighting yeah. here too because it's very shadowy, and then you have these sort of yeah, because there's like kind of like trees and boughs over the over the pit. Yeah. And you can just see the moon through it. And yeah, we like you said, we do get this montage 
Um, it's done really interestingly in that the passage of time is shown via the moon, mm-hmm. and then people, you know, intercut with uh, people from the base looking for him. Yeah, and obviously, by the time this has eclipsed, um, he's given in and had to eat. I don't know if all of Reich do, he eats. Does he? He eats some of his leg at least. Yeah. Um. He. Uh, you know, he eats, he eats him, right? And shortly after, he he starts to make an effort to get back to the fort. And this is, to me, where this has been quite a wild first, what, 40 minutes or so? <laughs> yeah, it's something like the first hour, first 45. And this is where it actually, the rhythm slows down a bit and moves into a more maybe psychological type of movie would you agree like yeah no i'd agree and uh, it's what i like about the film like as much as i love the beginning and the the manic quality of it i think if it had stayed this manic the whole film might not have i don't think it would have worked to maintain that yeah um so he basically gets back to the base by by an arduous process and the general is there which obviously this is a terrible situation for him to be in because now he's the only surviving member of an entire party that's gone completely right, missing. and they already think he's fairly sketchy yeah because of what happened with even though he he captured that fort um or command post or whatever he he did it by pretending to be dead and he didn't lie to them about pretending to be dead i think is the thing no the thing he doesn't lie to them you know and but nobody believes him that's the classic predicament so basically not even martha uh believes the story uh because i don't even think she met um ives when he was she wasn't in those scenes anyway so no no she doesn't, uh, yeah, she doesn't believe him, and the drunk guy isn't a reliable source to, uh... Right, because he's, I mean, at one point, um, F.W. Calhoun, a.k.a. actually Colonel Ives, Robert Carlyle comes back, and he's in, you know, he's cleaned up. Well, that's, and he's the, in, that's the big reveal. <laughs> right, and he's in his officer's uniform. And he's like, that's the guy. And but uh but Knox is he was obviously drunk and he's like, I remember the man had a beard, but <laughs> Yeah, he's not uh he he's can't not reliable, so he you can't go off of him. And yeah, no one else that was there is still alive. Yeah. It really this is where some of the political critique is coming in. Like the US military is pretty shambolic and <laughs> composed of disorganized groups of people here in this movie or people who who fail to see dangers that are right in front of them and you know stuff like that but it is quite a quite a twist when when the new commander comes in and it's it's the same guy yeah it gets into almost thriller territory where it's like you know you got the one man who knows this guy is a fake right or well rather that he was a fake before and now he's probably being who he truly is. Right, right. Yeah, he's um, he's actually not some outsider, but a literal 
guy in the u.s military with who's who's well respected enough to you know be appointed into positions of authority um and as we learn you know he he the story he told us earlier wasn't true right it was in fact no i think he framed himself as one of the other people in the party yeah 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 yeah. but in this in in truth he was presumably this colonel right and he um was sick with like cholera or tuberculosis oh yeah he had tuberculosis he he tells this to you know there's this sort of back and forth where they don't believe um boyd right obviously of course and they're outside at one point at night and uh ives is smoking a cigar and he takes like a, a long inhale of breath and it's this nice monologue i mean robert carlisle i think this movie is like you know there's a lot of great performances but robert carlisle i think really carries it i agree i agree he he knows how to be menacing and also kind of sympathetic it's like he well, does this weirdly but... menacing but charming type thing yeah he's like um... you can understand why people you know he has that sort of authority uh, that sort of he like, seems like you could have a good conversation like, yeah, with you can him. understand why people would why he'd be able to lead people yeah it's uh and he says you know i had i had um geez, sorry uh, tuberculosis tuberculosis i had tuberculosis <laughs> and i had depression and i mean this is sort of also darkly funny he goes into i had all these issues and then i started eating human flesh because i heard this native american man talking about this myth and now I feel great. It's just like, oh my god! It really is a a cure all um, in this world, um, and and it makes you more resistant. That's important. That yeah, because they also kind of show that uh, Boyd, you know, he broke his leg and he sets it, but I can't imagine it's been much more than a month that he's in that pit. Right, it seemed right. to me like maybe two weeks. That's what I thought. Something, but like he eats that. a tiny piece of leg from uh, from a private right, yeah. and it's like he's instantly fine and can walk on the leg. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. It's quite rejuvenative. Um, and basically, what he pitches to Boyd is, "I'm gonna use this uh, fort as." You know, people are going to be passing through here by the millions, and, and we're going to eat them. And we're going to eat them. And you can, uh, you can join me, <laughs> right? Um, so this is like I thought of like a marital partnership, honestly, at this point. Like the idea that the idea of these two guys living out at this fort together and just eating people who come along it's is funny to me. But um, you know, that's the moral problem he has to contend with, right? Like. Will he kill Yeah, others? I mean, to use, like, the interview with the vampire uh, stand-in, I guess uh, Colonel Ives would be Lestat, and uh, Boyd would be Louis. Right. I, you got I, the one, like, I'm super pro eating people, and then the other one is a very reluctant, I don't want to. But I may have to. Despite knowing the power that comes with it. Yeah. I, I by the way, digression, but I recently rewatched interview with the vampire for the first time in like 10 12 years oh yeah. my god i did not remember that it was 
literally like a yaoi like it was literally it's like it's just it's a gay a film about tom cruise and brad pitt are, are gay husbands and with a yeah, child you know the funniest part to me about that is anne rice was so staunchly anti-gay and became born again i don't that for years she would just be like no they're not gay there's nothing gay in my books and it's like have you read your book well she she came around i thought that she said that she I know that at least before she died, she said she appreciated her gay fan base. What I knew she always took issue with was people doing gay readings of her books, right? Like, right. And she was super staunch about fan fiction as well. Like, yeah, she, she did was. not want people to do fan fiction of her work, which... Which could <laughs> fucking luck with that. That's very but... funny. Um but anyway, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm so sad. Brian uh, Fuller at one point was attached to do the interview with the Vampire Show. Oh, see, that would have made so sense. I'm so upset he didn't get to do it because it would have been so much better. I don't care who's doing it now. It would have been better if Brian Fuller did it. Yeah, probably, probably. Man, oh, man. That would make an interesting... This and Ravenous, an interview with the Vampire, would make an interesting double feature, honestly. It would make an interesting double feature. Uh, but yeah, so... I, yeah. Um, I don't remember entirely the timeline, but essentially at some point Colonel Ives goes, okay, well, and he just stabs Boyd in the stomach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, to the shock of no one, penetration stuff. There's a lot of male penetration. Yes, 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 indeed. Uh, Knife is dick, obviously. Yeah. Well, but right before the stab, um, uh it's uh colonel hart comes back he kills he kills the drunkard guy Knox. yeah and he comes he shows up and he's, right that's another big reveal is that colonel hart is still alive because he's been eating human flesh he's so chipper he's like yeah i'm back uh you know i i basically i died but when i came to um i was just feeding me human flesh and uh i didn't really have a say in it um but uh, I can't go back now, and uh, he's like, and Boyd is like, are you going to kill me and eat me? And he's like, no, like, uh, we need some friends up here. <laughs> he's just so, like, affable about the whole situation. He's very chipper. There's just so, you know, Ives stabs um, Boyd in the stomach, and then there's this great scene where they're eating the stew. Yeah. And... Boyd is in the middle doing this very borderline comedic face where his eyes are like crossing. Yeah, because he's he, in so much pain, his like stomach's bleeding. And he wants to eat the stew. And the other. Yeah, and he wants to eat the stew. And then either side of him is Ives and uh, Colonel Hart. And they are eating the stew and just sort of bullshitting between each other. Yeah, and they're bullshitting about Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> You know, they're they're talking about Benjamin Franklin. They mention, I don't know if it's in this scene or slightly earlier, but they mention Manifest Destiny. They uh, do, yeah. uh, What's his name? Um, Hart, Hart says, uh, you know, isn't this civilized? You know, we're sitting around eating food, right? And obviously, it's not subtle or anything, but it's, you know, linking cannibalism with the colonizing process of the West. And right, yeah. I mean, at one point, one of the important lines to me is uh i've says all these people are going to be looking for gold and they're going to come over these mountains and they're going to come to this base yeah yeah and that's and we're going to eat them yeah and that's the that's the american way for the u.s gov i don't know what is (laughs) it's the american way um yeah it's uh it's it's not 
It's not subtle, but it doesn't have to be subtle, you know? It's, no, it doesn't it's, have it's to It's well be. communicated. Um, but and then finally, Boyd obviously... Has to give just, in. He gives in, because he doesn't want to die. Uh, so he eats the stew, and there we go. Yeah. Um, and he's basically... But they keep him chained up, right? For a bit? Um, they... Uh, or, or in... I think initially they had him locked up because they they this was before I think Colonel um, Hart came back. Oh right, right, right. But there's that. And yeah, once he, I mean, I think the thing is, once he eats the human flesh, they think he's on their side, which he is to an extent. Oh, you know what? We didn't discuss this. Mm. Um, so Private uh, Cleves gets murdered. Yeah, yeah. And I still don't know how he ended up on top of a roof, but you know. Uh, for whatever reason, Private Cleves is on top of this roof, like, eviscerated. Yeah. And they think that Boy did it, so they lock him up. And then all of the stuff with Colonel right, Hart comes right, back Right, 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 that. right, 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 Yeah. It's, um, they they pick, uh, it's, it's, Hart picks off Cleves and then the other guy, um, on, on Knox. the Knox. Yeah, Knox, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, they're, and I think they're planning also to get the general. Is that what they say at one point that they want to? I think so. I think the general left, but he's coming back. Yeah. So they want to convert him to, to the cannibal thing. (laughs) Um, but they, uh, obviously Boyd is against this and there's an interesting scene between him and Hart where he's trying to convince Hart to let him free or 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 to to not partake in this uh this plot right um you know and Hart starts getting yelling he's like all you have to do is kill people right you just have to kill and kill and yeah and I, it's interesting when there's the three of them because you've got uh Boyd who I think is on the one end of the spectrum where he doesn't want to be a cannibal doesn't want to do it at all you've got colonel hart in the middle somewhere and then you've got uh colonel ives complete opposite end of the spectrum completely pro eating people doesn't see any issue with it right yeah and and in the middle you got you know you you're dealing with hart who's like he's trying to pretend like he's fine with it but like you can tell by the way he's getting so angry and worked up that he doesn't because he actually didn't... he's have any choice yeah, he didn't in it. intentionally eat people he was like force fed yeah people so he basically there's a winding like argument debate between the two of them and it ends with uh heart asks uh boyd to kill him because he doesn't which he does he does but not before um uh ives witnesses it through the window like he's walking up to the window as boyd is about to kill um what's his name uh heart so it's um heart heart yeah. yeah it's 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 quite suspenseful because you get this intercutting again with the um, Ives walking up to the building and Hart asking to be killed and Boyd is like taking a minute to do it because obviously he doesn't want to kill this guy. He just, you know, he's honoring his wish, right? So yeah, they uh, he kills him, but then in comes Ives and 
kind of an extended dramatic fight sequence. So it becomes quite actiony as well at the end. Yeah, it does get, I mean, this is one of my favorite parts of the film is the kind of tail end where you've just got uh, Colonel Ives and Captain John Boyd. Um, at one point, Ives, uh, which is definitely one of the, my favorite looks of the whole film, he gets some blood and he puts like a cross on his forehead. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was that was a memorable moment. <laughs> yeah, which is sort of like vaguely drawing on uh, Charles Manson. Yeah, there's a serial killer quality to it. Also, like a war paint element that that because this is taking place in the backdrop of a war as well. We have I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's subtle stuff they've had um, as well, where they talk about uh, yeah. At one point, one of the Native men going into the myth of the Wendigo, he says, uh, well, your people eat Jesus every week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And so I think we're sort of getting it. I mean, it, oh. when we first meet uh, Calhoun, he's got this cross that he's playing with. So I think he is a Christian. Yeah. And the... but this is sort of like the the warping of Christianity. Right, right, right. There's like an Ash Wednesday thing to the yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh yeah, that's interesting. So there's interesting anti-Christian symbolism going on here as well, where where he's the obviously the perverse embodiment of of colonial Christianity, yeah, for example. Yeah. Um, but the, so yeah, they fight. Um, a lot of stabbing. <laughs> lots of stabbing. Lots of blood. They're they're both going. But they, but they keep, you know, it's not doing much damage because they're both, um, you know, healing pretty quickly, right? So, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a bear trap that does it, right? Which is a nice. I thought that was like it, it, very in keeping with the tone that you know it's the sort of West, it's nature, it's yeah, Americana. A bear trap was the right. <laughs> right way to go um yeah and uh ives has this great line yeah well so basically i mean it's it's very sweet in a way uh boyd kind of tackles eyes to the ground and then so they land on the bear trap and it traps them both in there and ives goes that was very sneaky <laughs> um but you know when you when you pull back, it just looks like Boyd, like, laying beside... I mean, he is. He's laying on top of uh, Ives. Yeah, it's very... And they're close together in the frame. And these It looks like of, they're snuggling, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an intimate uh, way to basically... And then, it, and then Ives says, if you die first, I'm definitely going to eat you. The question <laughs> is, if I die first, are you going to eat me? And obviously, which is the whole difference between the characters, obviously, right? Like, right. that's their difference in attitude. And it's just... And I do like yeah. that Martha <laughs> sees them and finally just goes, oh, fuck this, and leaves. Yeah, she she looks in and then just backs out slowly and just walks away. Well, because also, to be fair, when the general comes back and the entire base is dead except for her... What do you think's gonna happen? Right, yeah, it's not a. But I think it's all. I think it's also just a. I'm fucking done with this. Yeah, she's not a. 
she's she's not dealing with these people anymore um unfortunately she may have to because there's a brief scene of the general arriving and does he taste the stew is that the same stew yeah he does taste the stew so there is a sense in which the violence will keep perpetuating itself you know it's not there's no resolution in the deaths of these two guys because the general's already been corrupted already. So. Yeah, weirdly happy ending considering it's literally like our main character dying is the happy ending. Yeah, well, that's better to die with honor than to live with uh, cannibalism. <laughs> I don't know what the phrase is, but he doesn't want... I mean, I think they are getting into that sort of like dying a noble death thing because the, yeah. int- the beginning of the film... He's been disgraced because he he became a coward and didn't fight back and right, all this right. stuff. And this is him finally like fighting back and accepting death, but also um knowing that his death counts for something, you know, that, that it's preventing Yeah. Well I will say if you were gonna do a continuation type of film from this. Yeah. I mean you could just go, I don't know, like ten years into the future. Yeah. Yeah. And just sort of play off of like what happens with the general and what does he do and Right. I kind of I could see that honestly. But I, but at the same time I I do feel like Ravenous is a perfectly contained film and Oh yeah, it's you know, very It's fun to imagine that sort of stuff. I just don't know that I that it would play. No, I think for for what it is, it's it hits all of the beats it needs to hit, right? Like it it Yeah, it's self-contained. Yeah. And and Honestly, within those, whatever, 100 minutes or so, it, it it hits those beats while also, like, taking it in fun, odd directions that you might not expect it to take, right? So it's yeah. it's very, um, very satisfying as a film experience, I think. Very fun. I, you know, it's not, like, one of my favorite films or anything, but it is, uh, you know... Yeah, I mean, some of it is also... You know, like for you, like you seeing The Witch, for instance. Right, yeah. This was like my version of seeing The Witch. Because I watched this at, let's see, 99. I would have been uh, 15 or so. Right, Um, right. So it hit me at like a a seminal kind of time in my life. And it was, it was, um, it's weird. Some of like... This handful of my favorite films were all within the same, like, four years. So, like, right. Scream, Stir of Echoes, and Ravenous were all within the same sort of time, vaguely within the same time period, within five years of each other. Right, um, right. Yeah. And I watched them between, like, 12 and, like, 15 or 16. Uh, so they all sort of imprinted on me in different ways. Oh, yeah, and I could definitely... See this, but I will say of all of them, I think Ravenous is aged uh, the best. Mm. Scream, obviously, you know my love of Scream is just that it is so nineties, and yeah. I was a child of the nineties. Yeah, and then uh, Stir of Echoes is still a good movie. I think it holds up. It's just, you know, some of the effects maybe don't hold up as well. But this, for the most part, is pretty. Um, it's not rooted on a nineties specific. Yeah, the thing about. <laughs> ravenous is i feel like it could be made like for the first time uh, for netflix and it it like it still play yeah no it's very uh it's there's a... nothing there's nothing plot wise or tonally that's like a wildly different thing from what would be 
dropping on a streaming service. Right, or even... Or just even in theaters. Yeah, yeah. It's um, It's got a sturdy foundation with the whole Donner Party thing, and it, it executes that in a way that's... Uh, that's very um not era specific, you know. It, it could have, you know. Yeah, I think I told gore. you off air what I like about the film too is that it plays almost like the prototypical. We get a lot of these now, but the sort of like rev- it's not just revisionist history, but like it's intentionally drawing on the now, like you know, yeah. the favorite or uh, oh, the yeah. great. Yeah, it where they're just sort of like I mean. You're not getting that in Ravenous. No one's going like, what the fuck is this shit? But <laughs> Right. Well, the but, music you know, alone. It's like sort of tonally, it's doing a very modern take on yeah, it. Yeah, and the music is anachronistic as well, in a, in a good, yeah. in a positive way. I liked the music a lot. I'll, I'll toss that in especially. Yeah, but I do think like tonally, it's not of the period. No, no. Definitely, definitely not. Not like I've been watching actually a lot of '90s movies lately, and this is not. It doesn't have the same features that I would associate with, with a lot of '90s cinema. Oh, I meant just like of the period of 1850. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because like yeah. I think you know yeah. you get a lot of these period films, and they're very kind of droll and dramatic, and everyone's very like. Yeah, but the characters here are like. You know, they're plain spoken, you know? They're not doing uh, some sort of archaic reconstruction. I guess that's what I mean. Yeah, like you might, for another film set in 1850, it might be like, one wonders about the... And they're just like, hi, how's it going? Right, <laughs> it's it's doing... it's understated period detail, which yeah, is... Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's overall... Well, anyway, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good film. Lots of fun. Would uh, recommend it for... Um, Family movie night, you know, cannibals. I do think if this ever ends up, like, on a streaming service for free, it might see a little resurgence. Yeah. I mean, there's still hardcore fans like me, though, out yeah. there. It'll get a cultural, widespread reevaluation, but for the time being, you know, there are those of us who've seen it and know it's know it's a good time. So. Yeah, you can rent it on uh, Prime, I think, for, like, four bucks. So. Yeah, it was, like, it was four bucks, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Ravenous. Thumbs up for me. <laughs> good yeah, to, obviously good to a... be back on Celluloid Citizens with Ravenous. Yes, we're hoping we're... I keep saying we all the time now that I run a press. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Well, once... It's just easier. It sounds less, like, narcissistic. Yeah. Oddly. I, I like speaking. Uh, even though it is literally just me. But <laughs> yeah. we are excited to have you back for season three, which I'm... should be starting fairly soon. I'm so glad to be back. We're going to watch... Some just some absolutely traumatic, upsetting, t- I know what uh, horrible what movies. Together. Oh, I mean, it's not traumatic, but I think Gemma wanted to cover Velvet Goldmine. I I've never seen it. I am so ready to see it. I would love to do that as you know, as as my entry back <laughs> into season. Yeah, three. yeah, we'll have to figure it out for the summer. Yeah, we'll we'll work something out. Um, but. Until then, this episode itself has been such a delight on its own. So uh, yeah, and I think this is going to be one of the better season two episodes. I actually I did the math. We're at Jesus. We're almost at uh, seventy episodes. Jesus, wow! And that's of that's just for season two, and that's not counting the mini episodes or the special features episodes, which are just me. Yeah. Um. 
It's also not counting the fact that, you know, if there's a two-parter, I count that as one episode. Right, 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 But right, very right. technically, it's probably more like a hundred then, because there's a bunch of two-parters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, wow, quite a, quite a catalog, and, and... Yeah, quite a difference from season one as well that was 12 episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I do think season one is a good season, though. We, we... It's just, it's much more you know deliberate it's like you get 12 that's it yeah we're we're trying it out we're, but it's it's been a it's a good run so far let's keep it going strong and and thank yeah. you thank you dear listener for um for sticking with us <laughs> all this time um yes and for the new listeners um there's a lot of exciting stuff on the way i'd like to apologize since i never did the hats the <laughs> hats hats damn and maybe someday um <laughs> eventually yeah, i don't know it's it's our i was that broke this year that i didn't have the 20 bucks for a proof hat that's uh it's okay Sean. i might get them going just to get them going to get myself a new hat soon <laughs> so. it could be a good hat could be a great hat um we'll find could out be. on the next episode of uh celluloid citizens but yes in any case we're on twitter at celluloid sits um Wait for the car to go by. By the way, listeners, anytime there's a weird pause that makes no sense, it's me waiting for a car to go by. Same here. Unless I edit that part out, and then you never know about it. <laughs> um, but yes, anchor.fm slash celluloid sits. Uh, we are on YouTube, uh, very behind, but hoping to slowly uh dig through the enormous pile of episodes I need to upload to get most of season two up, which will probably take like five years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so thanks for coming back on, Brian. Thank you for having me back on. I'm, I'm ready for many more <laughs> and, uh, till, till next time I've been Brian O'Connell and I'm Sean M. Thompson and thanks for listening. Don't eat people. Yeah, please don't eat people. <laughs>